So fiddle me this. Is Devil Went Down to Georgia the greatest fiddle tune of all time? What's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? Why did Grandpa sound so different than the fiddle player on the radio? You might be surprised to find out. Come on in and listen as these Pacific Northwest fiddle players come here today to tell you their stories and share some of their music. This is season two of Fiddle Me This. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fiddle Me This. My name's JT in the guest studio with us today. He flew in on his wings all the way from Spokane, Washington. He's been here on this earth a lot longer than I have. He's been winning the company's division since he could barely hold on to the guitar bigger than him. He's saved people out of drowning cars. He's a lawyer. He's sitting right across from me, and he's going to play some fiddle for you. This is Aaron Lowe. So how's this work? Well, we're just going to get comfortable and play some tunes and talk. Kind of like we did a minute ago, except with instruments. funny part about that was Benny made up a lot of those parts uh-huh and I was sitting next to him when he made this part up that <laughs> right there where it goes from the three to the four mm-hmm. Barrett tried and tried and tried and tried to do that but he couldn't make that switch so instead of saying I can't play it, he goes, that part doesn't belong in there. <laughs> and then he just went off in a different direction because he couldn't play it. You know, they both lived up the road here. Right. Uh, Cal- on the Cowlitz River. Don okay. Wallace brought them both up from Texas. Mm-hmm. And Barrett was rebuilding a house for uh, Don Wallace's mother. And Benny lived in a trailer right next to Don Wallace's house or right across the river. Well, I didn't Don realize Dick lived here. I mean, I guess he was just doing a job. Well, he didn't really do a job. He got paid, but he didn't do very much. <laughs> and it was just a way for Wallace to bring that music up here, but that changed the whole music scene for the whole Pacific Northwest, those two acts. Because with those two guys here, 
the kids and everybody else just flocked to those guys to try to learn how to play, and that changed the whole music scene yeah. for the whole Pacific Northwest, those two guys. Why did all the kids want to go learn from those two old guys? At the time that they showed up, you know, the, the most of the fiddle players around here were playing hoedowns with two parts, you know, an A part and a B part, and the same with the waltz, an A part and a B part. They never changed them. So then all of a sudden, you know, Herman, Dick Barrett showed up first, and he got second to the late Wanzer, which I thought was pretty amazing, but Dick wasn't satisfied with that. And then he went back and told everybody in Texas, and then Herman Johnson showed up, and he had a different bow stroke entirely too, but he played really smooth, and he, and he never lost. He, he played really clean, really straight, just right in the middle of the road, just bam. So that changed the whole arena when they had these guys. One guy had a better bow stroke and the other guy made up all these different parts that people think are the are part of the song today but they weren't necessarily part of the song back 40 yeah. 50 years ago until Benny made that stuff up. I'll show you a different style of what we're talking about here like if you go back and listen to the first recording that I could find for I don't love nobody in 1924 Riley Puckett and his skillet lickers played it on their record and sang it it yeah. has all the words. But they, they it was really strange how they played it. Like, the fiddle break on it was like this. So then after Vinny and Lewis Franklin and a whole bunch of other guys get finished with it, you know, a couple of decades later, it sounds like this. Same chords, but it sounds totally different. So that's what yeah. Benny would do, would figure out those different parts. But that's what I like doing now, is just like with uh, Whistling Rufus or Red Wing or something. I like setting down and figuring out all those different parts because that's the one difference that was from the 60s till now. Back then, everybody tried to make that song their own. So they made it, those changes, so you knew more or less who was playing depending on the different They put parts. their voice to it. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't do that now, and I understand why they why they made those changes, is because back in the day when Tony Ludiker and J Jadine, they were some of the first ones that tried to make a living out of this, and they had to standardize those songs so they could teach them to all their students. So that's what they did. But then, as a consequence, you know, everybody plays nobody it. Nobody dug same. any deeper. <laughs> yeah, nobody dug any deeper and said, okay, how do we make this our own? We were talking about that, just that whole idea of, of uh, you know, all this American fiddle tradition, and some people want to pigeonhole themselves. Some people like playing for square dances. 
or for any, any type of Some fiddle players don't like playing for dances or for other people. They play for themselves. Right. And so they kind of fit into this category of, you know, they don't, you know, they're going to be, they're much more happy sitting on their back porch figuring out fiddle tunes because it's a mental and a, you know, it makes them feel good when they play and, and it's a, right. it's a different thing for them. Well, and, there, and, there was a guy like that in the 60s that showed up just like he talked about. He was back in some hollow back there in Kentucky or someplace, mm-hmm. or Missouri. His family each had a different job, but his job was to play the fiddle. And he would sit on the porch and play the fiddle. But he'd never been 20 miles from his house, and they gathered him up and brought him to Weezer. So he was socially inept, but he could play the fiddle. His name was Cyril Stennett. He played really clean. And he won, but you know you couldn't carry on a conversation with him because he'd never been anywhere. Yeah, you've seen a lot of guys come through. I have seen all Weezer. those guys. Yeah. Well, you you told me you was a, a certain age then. What what was you back then? About seven years old, first time you won the conference division. Yeah, I was you know about that old, and then you know I wanted up till. I actually was playing with these guys, and we played for a week at the Indiana State Fair, and we opened for Johnny Cash. And so I got to hang around him in the green rooms and whatever for a week, and I saw him, and he was just miserable. He had already had his highs, already had his variety show on TV, so he was kind of sliding down the other side, and he was just... You know, he was so tired of singing Ring of Fire that, he, you know, he never wanted to do it again. And I looked at him and went, you know, I, I can't hope to get as far as he did, but I don't want to be miserable once I get there. <laughs> so i got to figure out something else to do, and I'm going to try to do music as a side deal and make a living some other way other than yeah. music. So a couple, of, you know, months later after doing that, I'm back at college at yeah. Washington State University where I finished my undergraduate and graduate degree and go to law school. And that's what I did as a profession and just kind of, you know, played around. Because you didn't want to play Devil Went Down to Georgia the rest of your life. I didn't want to play the same song over and over and over, and I wanted to be (laughs) able to change them whenever I wanted to. So, you know, I've kind of, I didn't really play a lot for a long time. And when I started playing again, I started playing them like I, I did before. So... I kind of took my own medicine. I said, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it for me and how I want to play it. That's the reason I get my greatest joy now of taking these older songs and making them mine, like Benny would make them his. So sometimes I, I channel Benny, sometimes I channel Dick or Major or, or, or Johnny Gimble or something, you know, and, and that's what gives me the joy of playing now is making those songs mine. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Uh, like, for example, if we do, uh, like, I might play Red Wing through once, and then you come up and pick me a, get pick me up after playing it once, and we can play it how I would play them in the 60s, and then how I play it now. Okay. Is that fair? Sure.
Howdy friends, it's JT. Are you ready for some live music in your life? Maybe you've got a birthday party coming up. Maybe there's a wedding. Maybe you just want to have a hoedown in your backyard. Hit me up. I guarantee you an authentic American experience of original music and maybe some familiar melodies. Send me an email. Let's talk about what you're trying to do. JT at JTTrawick.com Hey there, this is producer Liam. If you love Fiddle Me This and want to help Podland keep putting out great content like Fiddle Me This, become a patron today. You can find us at patreon.com slash podlandproductions or just go to the Podland website and click on the Become a Patron button. We thank you for all your support and look forward to entertaining you in the future. Become a Podland patron today. Are you looking to be a better fiddle player? My buddy Vi is an awesome resource. It's a deep database of tunes, including sheet music, videos, play along, slow, fast, even backup tracks to practice with. There are instructional videos for everything and even a community where you can ask the teachers all your fiddle questions. Perfect for taking your fiddling to the next level. Head over to MyTalentForge.com. Use the code FIDDLEMETHIS and you'll save some dough. You can find the link on our website, JDTrewick.com, Productions. Vi Wickham's My Talent Forge. Learn a new tune today. If you listen to Fiddle Me This, you're a fan of old fiddle tunes and local lore. Well, here's a little local lore. Did you know Portland Music Company is a locally owned independent company? It's been serving local Portland musicians since 1927. From fiddles to banjos, guitars to saxophones, podcasting equipment, and digital keyboards, Portland Music Company has four convenient locations that have exactly what musicians need. Tell them I sent you for 10% off of strings on your next visit. That don't suck. I need strings right now. Somebody go buy me some strings and tell them I sent you. Well, you grew up around Spokane, is that right? I did. Okay. And when did you start? I mean, obviously, you start... Most people, when they're seven years old, they ain't even as big as a guitar. When I was about five years old, I was over at my aunt's house digging around in her closet that I, where I wasn't supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I found this guitar. Uh-huh. And I still remember the feeling I got. It was like getting hit with a bolt of lightning in the back of my neck. It just went bam. And I thought, I'm going to play that guitar. Yeah. And so I kept bugging her and bugging her and bugging her until she gave me this guitar. And it was an okay that was like a... Dobro or something. I mean, the strings were like a half inch off the fretboard, you know. Dang. And it had, and it had a book in the bottom of the case. Yeah. And every day when I got home from school, you know, I'm five, six years old, I'd opened up this book and I'd try to figure it out and I'd try to play it. And I, I mean, it had broken strings. It was all out of tune. Broken strings. I'm trying action. to do it. I oh, mean, it's cutting my fingers. Yeah. And after months of doing this, every day, my parents, who didn't play any music or any instruments, finally said, you know what? He's not quitting. We better get him some help. Wow. Because he's going to do this one way or the other. And and I remember because my dad, after giving me some lessons, finally said, you know what? You probably need a different guitar because this one's not much. And we went down to a, a music store in Spokane called Hoffman's. You know, and I'm thinking I'm going to get a Telecaster or... A Les Paul, you know, that's what I got in my mind. Yeah, and yeah. He he found this 135 Gibson that was a had arch top, f holes, one pickup, so it was kind of an electric, kind of an acoustic, but it wasn't very good on either one. But that's what I had. Well, what about fiddle? When fiddle come into your life? Because I guess you was backing them up, backing fiddle I was players backing up. Backing them up, backing them up, and my older brother played, 
and I didn't really play. And then I finally got like in junior high school and he was trying to play something and I was trying to tell him how to do it, even though I didn't play the fiddle. You know, and he says, if you think you're so good, why don't you just play it? Yeah. Give me that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took it from him. I didn't play it very good, but you know what? I yeah. could play it. The part I was trying to tell him about, it was up in the third position and everything else. And he got this look on his face like, where did that come from? And I was like, I don't know. So after that, then I started playing the fiddle. It's kind of a different version of hillbilly jazz because instead of doing the jazz, it's all the, the fifths and the thirds running around there around the chord progression. Well, that's, you know, the whole idea of jazz, they say jazz doesn't sell anymore, hasn't sold for a long time because it went too far off the deep end. There's no more melody and it doesn't, right. you lose the general, people don't care, you know, that what music means to the general person ain't what it means to a player, no. you know, because they've obviously they know how to play it which means they know they know you know way more about it than any person that doesn't play ever would or ever would care to you know because it doesn't mean as much to them or right. it just but, means but, something but different. even as a listener you've got to be able to still keep that listener there so absolutely what i try yeah. to do is i try to stretch it a little bit and then i come back to the line yeah you know, and toward the end of the phrase, I might, or the beginning of the phrase, I might hit it again, yeah. that melody that's really simple, and then I jump it someplace else. Yeah. Just so I take them someplace else and then bring them back to the line. So they know where they're at in that whole song. Well, you talked about uh, uh, Cyril Stinnett and uh, how he couldn't hardly carry on a conversation, but he would play. And to this day, people still play some of his original music. Yeah, and if and you listen to he it. He played very melodic and very. Right. He played for the people, even though he was playing for himself. <laughs> I know, know, but he didn't have the ability that Benny did. He played straight. I mean, if it was a two-part song, he just played two parts, that was it. Mm -hmm. And he played it over and over. It's kind of like playing for a square dance. You know, you just play for 10 minutes, the same thing over and over. That's what he did. So it was a real revelation when Dick and Benny and, and Herman Johnson showed up, and they had a whole new repertoire of, of a rainbow of sounds that nobody had ever heard before. So as a kid going, whoa, what is that? And where did that come from? Yeah. I mean, that that's the reason that it just all of a sudden crushed all that old two-part stuff because, uh -huh. you know, it had seven or eight parts. That that threw you a curveball and you say, I'm going to lay back and hit it. Yeah, and you did. exactly. Exactly. 
you told me a story about one time you uh you you missed the cut at Weezer and ended up saving some people from a car. Yeah, there was a you know back in the day they didn't have all the divisions like they do now. Mm-hmm. So they just had the open division. They had the juniors back then. They had a ladies division. Um, so they would they would make a cut from like a hundred and twenty to a hundred and fifty to twenty. Mm-hmm. So that was you know a tremendous cut. And I thought I was pretty good because I was getting in the top five in the open playing the fiddle. And so I thought it was pretty hot stuff. I'm in my twenties. So you got cut. I got cut. The first cut. Didn't make it, and I was feeling pretty down. I was staying at these people's ranch out east of town by the name of Robert Nola Woods. So I just slept in that morning, and I went to go to the school, and it was probably approaching noon after 11. And we we went to cross this bridge, and it was like a, it was an irrigation canal, but it's like a river, a small river. Yeah. And I got in the center of the bridge, and I looked down, here's a car upside down, underneath the water and so i got out to look and you could hear people yelling from that car that were in there so it evidently just had happened so i took my boots off and dove in i couldn't get the upstream door open so i went to the downstream door and finally got it open all the glass on the doors the side windows and stuff were all broke out of this car um Got that door open. Some guy popped out pretty fast. I got him on my back, went up to the surface, swam over to the edge of the canal, flipped him up there. And then there was, I went back to where this car was. I went down to the downstream door. The next guy came out pretty fast. I took him up and went back and then there was another guy who absolutely there's a few of them in there there's three of them in there evidently and they're they're farm workers so they don't speak english and i don't know how many guys are in this car yeah you know i can't see down in there and uh and my spanish is pretty basic so i'm doing like unos dos tres cuatro like how many and by this time there's another guy there on the bank and he was actually the sheriff who actually knew a little more spanish than i did and they said, uh, Trace, so I went back. There was another guy in the car. His head was in the, a pocket of air in the back window. But his pant leg was caught on something up underneath the dash. And mm-hmm. I couldn't get him out of there. And he wasn't letting go of me. And so I thought I might have to knock him out to try to get him out of there because we're having like a fist fight in the back of this window of this car while he can't get out. And I finally grabbed his pant leg and was able to rip his pant leg out of his pants, which I don't know how I did that either, and took him out of there and brought him up and uh, finally got him up on the shore and then finally went back to make sure there was nobody else in the car. Well, you're a pretty big dude, so this must have been pretty, uh, I mean, deepish water, I guess. Oh, it was well over my head and stuff, so I had to dive down once I swam out to the middle where this car was at, so, you know, this whole car is submerged underwater, and once you get down here, there's there's not a lot of extra air down on the bottom of this canal where this car was. Yeah. Well, that's that's incredible, the timing and everything. It's just, that's insane. Well, it's insane because if I had made the cut, all three of those guys would have died. Yeah. So I realized then there's some reasons why, you know, you don't make the cut. Mm-hmm.
That's pretty tuning in. I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, well, that's a that's a whole interesting thing in the contests and far so far as the time limits and all that uh, yeah. because uh, you know in some ways you could argue that you know it kind of kills a lot of the fiddling and some of the the kids that they, they don't get past their quote unquote contest rounds and that kind of. Well, the majority of people that play that waltz today, and especially the ones that play it in F, they don't even know that they're leaving out a whole part, <laughs> which is really sad. It is. That's exactly the point. You know, it's you know, but you got you know when when a contest gets so big and you got to you know that's that's hard. How do you how do you handle that? You know, the show must go on. Well, know. see, and I I'm in trouble down there too, because <laughs> I'm. I'm judging this contest, and about that year, they had the National Geographic come, mm-hmm. and they're going to do a story in the magazine as well as do a videotape of the contest that they're going to run on PBS at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So I know they're coming in the next day because back then, they had a different contest chairman every year, a different one. So the the one that's going to be contest chairman next year is the vice chairman this year, so then he takes over. So unlike now that Cindy and Bruce run it every year, they had different people shuffling through all the time. Mm-hmm. So the judge's chairman that year came in and said, okay, we're all going to be on our best behavior, and he's looking right at me, saying we're all going to be on our best behavior because these guys, the film crew and the, the still cameras are coming yeah, in for National it. Geographic tomorrow. Yeah. So you got to get your hair done. I took that as a challenge. <laughs> so so after everybody left I went and got a six pack of beer and put it in the cooler for the next day buried it down in there where nobody could find it and I waited until the film crew got all set up and everything and you know all of a sudden it fires up everybody's you know getting their picture taken and I walk over to the cooler and pull out a beer and I think Junior Doherty was judging with me I shut a beer on his table so it looks like the judges are in there having a party getting drunk <laughs> And the judge's chairman is just like, what is going on? <laughs> so you can go look up, look for Ooh. this National Geographic video or, or magazine. It's out there.
Hey, thanks for listening and supporting Fiddle Me This. All your reviews, comments, and feedback are greatly appreciated. Check out Vi Wickham's My Talent Forge. It's a great online learning platform, and Portland Music Company is the bomb. Stop by if you're in the area. Order some new strings online. Hey, I'm JT, and I can't wait to come back and share some music with you. Cheers. This has been a Podland Productions production, produced and edited by Liam Flanagan. Podland Productions is a podcast production company and more. For more information, go to podland.productions. While you're there, become a member or join our email list. Podland Productions.